Welcome to the Central Community Church Podcast. We exist to be authentic followers of Jesus, leading others to follow Him by loving God, loving people, and serving our world. It's been a lot of uh, famous last words over the course of history. Some of them are really sad. Some of them are kind of humorous, actually. Some of them are beautiful. Leonardo da Vinci, the great artist, modestly said, I have offended God and mankind because my work did not reach the quality it should have. Yeah, he wasn't a great artist. There's beauty, though, for the Christian in death. And writer Joseph Addison, his dying words were simply this, See in what peace a Christian can die. Buddy Rich, famous rock and roll drummer, died after surgery, but as he was being prepped for surgery, a nurse asked him, is there anything you can't take? And he said, yes, country music. I tend to agree. I tend to agree, but I'm trying to be culturally sensitive in Chilliwack, and I know many of you disagree. (laughs) William Wallace, the the great Scottish freedom fighter, at least according to the movie Braveheart, his famous last word was, freedom! The last words of Jesus on the cross, seven sayings actually, seven different statements are tragic, are sad, are beautiful as well, and are absolutely life-giving, life-changing, life-transforming for anyone who would hear and believe. So we're going to take a look this morning briefly at the seven statements Jesus declares, Jesus utters out of his mouth as he's hanging on the cross. Here's the first. It comes from Luke 23. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, Golgotha, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The first words that Jesus uttered from the cross were words of pardon. Forgiveness. And if you're anything like me, as you read the gospel, you read about these Roman officials and go, you rotten people. You look at the religious leaders of the day and you say, you rejecters of Jesus. They were guilty. But very quickly, if we take stock of our own lives, we recognize that we are also in need of the words that Jesus uttered from the cross. Father, forgive them is great news to people like you and me. For we may not have literally done a makeshift trial for Jesus and brought him to the cross. We may not have been the ones who put the nails in his body or pierced his side. And yet every one of us is guilty. Our sin put him there. See, none of us are innocent of the death of Jesus Christ. Jesus not only says, Father, forgive them, he also says, for they know not what they do. 
But ignorance is no excuse. Ignorance is no excuse. Forgiveness is necessary even though he says they don't know what they're doing. Forgiveness must come nonetheless. But here's what's such astounding news about the first statement that Jesus says from the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, is that Jesus holds out forgiveness to the worst, to the people who put Jesus there. And that's good news for you and me because if Jesus holds out forgiveness for the worst, we can know that that forgiveness is extended this morning to you and to me. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at Jesus, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, and we indeed justly, we deserve it. For we are receiving the due reward for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom And the second statement of Jesus is this. Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. I'm astounded by the cross already, two statements in, because Jesus has extended to the worst of sinners forgiveness. And then he goes on to not just offer forgiveness, but to offer promise, offer paradise. He won't only forgive, he will give you the keys to the kingdom as well. This is amazing. And between two criminals, as Jesus hung on the cross, that image shows us salvation in play. A criminal on his left, a criminal on his right, and Jesus saving a criminal. All of us are guilty of crimes against God and humanity and in our sin. He offers us not only pardon, not only forgiveness, he also offers us paradise. And as he hung there, one criminal mocked him and the other marveled at him. And here we come on Good Friday to fix our gaze at the cross of Christ. We're all criminals. We've all sinned against God. Which criminal are you? the one who mocked, or the one who marveled. John 19 tells us that when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. As Jesus is hanging on the cross, suffering greatly, we see the affection, the care, the mercy of Jesus. He is fulfilling the command to honor your father and mother. Joseph has likely passed away by now. We haven't heard anything about him for a long time in the scriptures at this point. So Mary needs to be cared for, and she, he looks down at this disciple, that, this beloved disciple that he loves dearly, is close to him and says, this is your mother, this is your son. And John takes her and cares for her from that hour on. This is so classic about Jesus, so refreshing about Jesus, is that Jesus isn't just speaking on some sort of spiritual plane. 
Just so you know, I'm dying for the forgiveness of your sins, this great spiritual act. Don't worry about the practical. Don't worry about the material. Don't worry about what's happening on the ground in your life. Just think above. Think spiritually. I'm forgiving you. He is accomplishing the greatest work in forgiving sins on the cross and paying the penalty for them. Absolutely. But on the ground, in the physical need, he looks down and sees his mom and wants her cared for. And so also on that plane of practicality says, take care of my mom. Now, I I love my family. My wife and my two boys are like my joy and we have a lot of fun together and they are my family. They They are my closest people. But you too are my family central. We're family. That's what Jesus is saying here. Jesus had, had, had brothers, uh, brothers of uh, sons of Mary, but he looks at his spiritual brother, closest brother John, and says, this is your mother, take care of her. See, in the household of faith, we are a spiritual family. And Jesus on the cross, in the agony of it all, is saying, take care of the needs See, it's not enough for us just to do church. We're called to be the church. Jesus displays from the cross a little picture, a little window into what that looks like. We gather around Jesus, and then we love one another well as the household of faith. Jesus displays love for spiritual family that we are to emulate from the cross. Matthew 27 gives us the next statement that Jesus utters. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Our English translations say something along the lines of Jesus cried out with a loud voice. Kind of a literal translation of, of, of the phrase there is, is, is really what happened was a sudden, loud cry, loud scream. Jesus here screams the scream of death, the scream of the damned, the cry of those in an eternity apart from Christ, the fate of of all who would reject Jesus. Jesus is uttering a scream of the damned. Unless he screamed it for you. See, Jesus screamed the scream of the damned. Apart from Christ, God, separation from God. Because in this moment, Jesus was experiencing God-forsakenness so that we wouldn't have to. See, crucifixion was inhumane. It was a horrific form of punishment that went beyond reasonable justice. But for Jesus, the physical anguish of the cross wasn't half of it. Bearing the wrath of God for sin and having this brokenness of the eternal communion he had always had with the Father, that was the far worse component of the cross. Jesus is experiencing the agony of broken communion as God puts his just wrath upon his son so that his son can pay the penalty for sins. And there's this breaking of holy communion that they had experienced for all eternity as Jesus bears the sins of the world. And yet when Jesus cries out these words, he's quoting Psalm 22 about being forsaken 
But he's also likely um, quoting, the, thinking, having in mind the psalm's resolve, which is a cry of victory. He was not helpless. The cross was not pointless. He was forsaken so that we wouldn't have to be and that, so that victory could come. Following that, in John 19, we see that it says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scriptures, I thirst. Just imagine this with me for a moment. Jesus, who created the world, created the oceans, created the rivers, created the springs, uttered the words, I thirst. Jesus who would encounter people and saying, I can give you living water, the kind of water that will never make you thirst again. That Jesus, as he hung on the cross, said, I thirst. Jesus made the way here for everything to be made right, everything that's wrong in the world to be made right, and he took upon himself everything that's wrong in the world, even that need, that thirst for water. Jesus thirsts so that you, your thirst could be satisfied in him. And so that one day, all the wrongs could be made right. Following that, it says, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Notice what Jesus didn't say. Jesus didn't say, I am out. I can't do this. I give up. It is too hard. He doesn't say any of those things. He says, it is finished. It is accomplished. These are the words of victory. Jesus accomplished everything, everything that he came to fulfill. He did everything, everything that the Father had given him to do, and he was able to declare from the cross, it's done, it's accomplished victory. Luke 23 goes on to say that then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Notice the very first words that Jesus said were, Father, forgive them. And then in the midst of crucifixion, as he takes the world's sin upon his back, says, my God, my God, in the midst of separation, in the midst of broken communion with God. And now, now that all is accomplished, it is finished, he goes back to the phrase of Father, Jesus is back in right communion with the Father, everlasting communion with the Father. Even in his death, we also see in this phrase that Jesus is in control. Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. I am doing that. He's not the helpless son of a divine child abuser. He's not there against his will. God didn't get him in that spot and he didn't see it coming The Romans didn't just capture him and crucify him and it wasn't supposed to be. Jesus is in control and says, now it's accomplished, it's finished. Now, Father, I am doing something here. I am committing my spirit 
to you. This is, these are the words of Jesus in John 10. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father, and Jesus has done it. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. A.W. Pink wrote a brilliant book on the seven sayings of Jesus on the cross. and He says this about this final statement. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. This was the last utterance of the Savior before he died. Well, he hung upon the cross seven times, his lips moved in speech. Seven is the number of completeness of perfection. At Calvary then, as everywhere, the perfections of the Blessed One were displayed. Seven is also the number of rest in a finished work. In six days, God made heaven and earth, and in the seventh, he rested, contemplating with satisfaction that which he had pronounced very good. So here with Christ, a work had been given him to do, and that work was now done Just as the sixth day brought the work of creation and reconstruction to a completion, so the sixth utterance of the Savior was, it is finished. And just as the seventh day was the day of rest and satisfaction, so the seventh utterance of the Savior brings him to the place of rest, the Father's hands back to God. Jesus came, and we we see the fullness of his ministry on the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them. Father, bring them to yourself. Give them the keys of the kingdom. You'll be with me in paradise. Jesus makes a way. Jesus cares about the physical circumstance we are in. And as we gather as the church together, we are a family that look to serve one another. Look, your spiritual mother. Look, your spiritual son, your spiritual father, your spiritual sister and brother. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me is a statement that ultimately says that Jesus bore the wrath of God so that we could turn to him in faith. We could, a way could be made known to God. He bore the penalty for our sins, so we simply come to him and and ask for forgiveness. Jesus thirsts so we wouldn't have to. When Jesus declared, it is finished, he meant it. He accomplished everything necessary for our salvation. Central, dwell on these words here and now. Dwell on these words today and tomorrow and bring them back with you on Sunday so we can celebrate the rest of the story that Jesus rose. Uh, But at this moment, as we dwell on these seven sayings of Jesus, we're going to make an invitation for you to come up and receive communion. And that invitation is open to absolutely everybody who says, yes, I believe in Jesus. I believe what you said about Christ. I believe that he forgives sins and forgives mine, and I've asked him to do that. If he is your Savior and Lord, you're looking to him for rescue, looking to him as a source in your life. If you would consider yourself a follower of Jesus, this is an invitation to come and receive. Come and receive the bread, which represents his body, the, the, the juice that represents his blood, and uh, invite you to come and do that in a moment. So we're going to pray. Before I do, just a couple quick housekeeping things. Um, the bread is gluten-free. Seems so strange to have to say that, but it, 
that's helpful. It's necessary. Um, the other piece is that if you uh, aren't very mobile and it'll be tricky for you to come up, um, we have servers who would like to come around, try and help in indicating that you'd like someone to come to you in order to receive. But if you're able, over the course of the next couple of songs, you're welcome to come and receive communion. So let me pray for us, and then we will respond with more songs, communion, and readings. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for your finished work. Thank you that your statement, it is finished, can be trusted. You bore the wrath of God so that we could have our burdens lifted. You took the penalty for our sins. You died so we could go free. And it's accomplished. He did it. Jesus, more than anything this morning, more than any great sermon application to our lives I could make, I think the, 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 the most important thing we want to do this morning is turn to you, Jesus, and say, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. And so we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.